0: I don't think you can do exactly the same thing over and over again or look in the textbook and find out how somebody else did it and do that and really make an impact.
1: Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the PASS Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. So today we are going to talk about innovations and engineering and the ways that folks really stop and think about. We're in a moment of crisis and I've got to do something different. And oh, by the way, I have an amazing set of skills that are going to let me uh, be a participant in what's happening in the world. And we're going to do that with a conversation uh, today with Mike Wiseman, who is the Senior Chief Engineer of Strategic Research at Honda R&D Americas. Mike is uh, a a great guy whose passion lies in creating new things through research. So, Mike, welcome to the program. Thank you. So, so Mike, let's start with very, very high level for our listeners who who may not know what exactly is Honda R and D Americas, and with a real focus on what the heck does that R and D part mean?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, research and development, I guess to answer the obvious part of that, but. Uh, Honda R&D in America is is, uh, a lot of words in there that mean a lot of different things. But we have responsibility at Honda R&D for the development of specific vehicles for the North American market. Not all vehicles for the North American market, but we have development responsibility. And that's everything from conceiving of uh, both vehicles and technologies that go on the vehicles, all the way up to uh, actually testing, producing designs. And then we hand those designs and specs off to our manufacturing facilities who finally make the products uh, for us. And we do that primarily at, at the facility I work at for automobiles, but we also have an arm that does power equipment, power sports, uh, and uh, things like that. So that's that's fundamentally what we do at R&D. So we have capability for testing of materials. Uh, Full vehicle systems, uh, designing things from, I guess you'd say, things like the interior, the exterior of the car, chassis components, engine components, things of that nature.
1: So, is it fair to say that you folks are the the idea generators?
0: Yeah, I guess you you would say that there's, uh, fortunately for us, ideas come from everywhere, Mm -hmm. but we're the ones who have to take them. Ideas that are conceived of, whether they come from ourselves or from elsewhere, and grow them into something that's, that's tangible that you can actually build.
1: And so that when folks think about Honda, because we're gonna we're gonna circle back around in a second about why on earth are we talking to Honda on Learning Unboxed, right? But I, but I also think it's important that we set the stage for folks to understand that Honda is more than what you might think of initially. So it's it's a it's a complex um, company and set of organizations that are that are intertwined. Could you give us like two minutes to help folks understand the? I guess, the complexities, but also the practicality of what Honda is or is not, because I don't think people always fully understand what this company does.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're definitely right there. We've run into problems before where you try to figure out somebody that you want to partner with on some new technology and you come to find out they're a competitor with you in some (laughs) other area. Uh, (laughs) So it, it makes things interesting. But Honda, of course, started out as a, as an engine manufacturer, and but most people that you talk to that that uh, have learned their Honda history know that we we started out as an engine manufacturer. and we can still consider ourselves an engine manufacturer. There's quite a few of those that are produced every year, more so than any uh, individual component. Uh, we sell those outright to other people, to uh, you know just as a, a product line themselves. But we started off with Mr. Honda making pistons, piston rings, actually, a long time ago, and he, he decided to put the engine uh, on a b- bicycle because his wife needed; you know, she was riding her bike every day and needed to have uh, some way of getting herself up these hills and <laughs> off. Don't and we so all?
1: Forth, so. <laughs> up will <laughs> <up> those hills. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, so she. Uh, she, she was kind of our, our first idea person is, Hey, I need help. Mm-hmm. And he found a way to help. And, uh, that, so it blossomed from there. So obviously we were a motorcycle company, mm-hmm. um, after making engines that that grew into a, a lot of different product lines. There's, uh, things, of course, the automobile that, that I'm primarily involved with, but we also make marine engines, uh, engines that, uh, for generators for, uh, when we say power equipment, that means lawn mowers, snow blowers, weed whackers, or whatever you want to call them. Uh, I guess they're called lawn trimmers. <laughs> um, the uh, we we also, you know, of course, we have financial services and things of that nature too that are that aren't uh, obvious ones. But then, on the what we used to call motorcycle cut side, we call, uh, we now call it power sports, and primarily because in North America, motorcycle. Of course, motorcycle sales are are still robust, but uh, a lot of our growing market in North America is side by sides and ATVs. Mm-hmm. So th- those are the little two to four to sometimes six passenger vehicles uh, that that you see out there. I they they started off as farmers using them as uh, using go uh, not go carts but uh, golf mm-hmm. carts, and then they would modify those, and then. Some some of our competitors came out with their own version and so forth, but basically it's it's a bigger modified version of an ATV, uh, which used to be three wheel and now our four four wheeler ATV. So we make a little bit of everything uh, in that sense. We we um, you know if it's a mobility device, those are the kind of things that we're interested in uh, being a part of. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and you know it's really funny. Uh, life comes full circle, and so you know my other hat. Um, many of our listeners uh, know that I'm by training underwater archaeologists and and, and my Honda connection actually uh, started um, in that space because on all of our excavations, um, most of which were like in rivers or lakes or out in the ocean or whatever, floating around, you know, on uh, floating platforms that we worked from. Sitting on every single one of those floating platforms is a Honda pump, right? And we use them yeah. as underwater dredges, and we're literally pumping sand and debris from the bottom and, and and recycling and all of that sort of stuff. And that's actually literally the tool that we utilize in the majority of our work. And so I have spent many, many of an hour up close and personal um, with a <laughs> Honda pump over the years. So I uh, <laughs> I appreciate greatly the care and thought that goes into not only thinking up those tools that we. Need in coming up with a solution, um, but then the actual manufacturing and the nuances that are tied into making sure that those tools are effective uh, in the work that we do. So that's pretty cool. So, from the perspective of learning in box, then I know folks are like, why, why are we talking to Honda? Uh, r and Americas um, at the moment as it relates to thinking about the work of teaching learning and the future of work. And for me, that's really sort of a simple no-brainer. You know, when we step back and think about what are we preparing kids for, and I ask that question on this program all the time, you know, the answer is we're preparing them for the real world or preparing them for the world of work. And what I love about the way Honda R&D, Americas, and, and many of the other opportunities that, that Honda brings into the way people think about creativity and solving problems for others, I think that that's really the meat of how we should rethink and recontemplate the question of the teaching and learning um, component, especially in that K-12 space. And so I think there's a lot of very valuable lessons that can be learned by talking to a senior your chief engineer at, at at one of these um entities and, and endeavors and so so mike i want to Pivot just a little bit to sort of illustrate my, my point here by talking about the fact that, you know, we are all globally sitting in a giant pandemic and our entire world has shifted um, in many, many ways. And that shifting and that pivoting also took place in your work and what your company was doing. And so I want to talk a little bit about sort of the things or the decisions that you guys made um, and the pivots that you made, in particular to the products that you're working on in the moment of crisis and the skills and the thought. That that it took to be able as a company to make those pivots happen. So how's that for a loaded question? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hopefully we'll, we'll unwind it a little bit as we go.
1: Perfect. So let's let's talk a little bit about the Honda Odyssey sort of project that you had to work on. So, so first and foremost, COVID hits, there's suddenly all these different needs in the world. So talk to me a little bit about how Honda sort of views its opportunity, I guess, if you will, to be helpful. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, of course, during during this this period, everything is kind of up in the air and, you know, the, the, the world is uh, is our customer, is our neighbor, is our friends. Um, and we're all trying to make sure that we get through this thing together. So, you know, we're looking at if you just step it down from our associates or what, what most people would call employees, but there are associates. Um, our business partners, our neighbors, and basically our, our bigger customer community. You know, we wanted to look to see what we could do to improve their daily lives. Um, you know, right now, everybody's lives are disrupted. And so we, we basically opened up to everybody within the company and then also tried to get the word out through other channels. So we had, we had mobilized, uh, for example, our, our Washington, D.C. office. Who normally is a lobbying arm of our company but they're out there and they're also looking at product regulatory things and this, and so on and so forth but so we we mobilized everybody to, to try to get their their feelers out there to find out okay what do people actually need mm-hmm. because there's a lot of ideas that people had of what can we do but the, the bigger question was what do people actually need there's it doesn't make any sense for us to start you know designing and developing a new face mask for example if nobody actually needs that all they need is just the one that they have better mm-hmm. or more of mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that so that was kind of how we started things the the odyssey project specifically started in japan being a global company of course we're, we're headquartered out of japan and we found out that our mother company in japan was actually uh, retrofitting some odysseys with a shield behind And you would think that it would be easy enough. You would just see what Japan did and just say, okay, we'll do the same thing. Not so fast. Um, The uh, air conditioning systems in our vehicles are very different from the way they are built in Japan. There's a lot of reasons for that that probably uh, I couldn't explain very well. Um, But in any case, the Japan system has actually two units, one for the front and one for the back ours has one that pushes air around the entire vehicle and so when japan made their their vehicles for their market they were able to basically put a shield in and then they already had separation of front and back air so that was that was a huge difference for us to build these odysseys it wasn't as simple as putting a shield in and letting it go and the second part of that was a a customer in north america is very different from a customer in in Japan, we, we tend to be larger people, whether it's by weight or by height and things of that nature in North America. And so, what they did was actually use the, the B pillar. And, and I would, if you think about looking at the side of a vehicle, the A pillar is the one where the windshield is at. You just keep going A, B, C as you go back the vehicle, every place where you see a pillar. To um, so the B pillar is the one that's right behind the driver or passenger seat. And so or front passenger seat, and so we, what we did was we put a, a plastic shield down there, but we realized that people's feet weren't necessarily going to fit very well. Mm-hmm. In Japan, it wasn't such a problem, but we had to figure out how to to get the the shield down, still seal it off, but still leave enough comfort space for people's feet. Was, uh, in, it, at least the way ours was set up. It wasn't as, as easy. So those were the two main things that I guess I would say that was very different from what we did in Japan. So the people that I mobilized to be able to, to work on this was uh, a lot of our interior experts. It was people who do ergonomics and planning of, of layouts of interiors and things like that. So there were about two or three folks that I, from our engineering side, in that sense that I, I mobilized, our HVAC experts that I mentioned before that, that have knowledge, <laughs> it seems weird, We talk about people going to school to be something, whether it's a mechanical engineer or whatever it may be. I doubt too many people are thinking that they'll end up in their life as an HVAC expert (laughs) and really thinking about how air flows, um, things (laughs) of that nature. So, um, But it's really great that we have people like that because they're really knowledgeable and they're very valuable to us. So those folks came together and helped us to shape the way we wanted to design the shield, let air flow, but also limit the airflow back into the front of the vehicle. That was the most important part of this was that we didn't want, if somebody was in the back as a potential patient that had COVID-19, we didn't want that air to move back into the front of the vehicle and the person that's actually going to be interacting with multiple patients. um, We didn't want to infect them. So that was our primary objective. And So we used uh, a CDC guideline for kind of temporary medical spaces Mm -hmm. and figured out what the airflow differential needed to be. And so our HVAC guys uh, took that and tried to figure out how best can we set the fan settings for front and rear to get that pressure differential, how best to seal off the the front versus back when it comes to the, the shield itself and things like that. Ultimately, we ended up, and <laughs> I, I say all of this thing, these things that are going on. The the course of time, it was about four days wow. that we got all of that thought out and said, okay, here's what the design is going to be like. The rest of the time really was just actually mobilizing, <laughs> to get the vehicles in one place, um, get the people there, get the materials that we needed to be able to build it, and actually execute the building and delivery. It was about. Ten to twelve days from the time it was uh, conceived of until the day that we actually delivered them to the city of
1: Detroit—that's wicked, wicked fast in these industries, right? I mean, I just—I want to make sure our listeners understand what you guys were able to do is just almost off the charts, right? I mean, that's not your everyday. Yeah,
0: no, no. No, you develop a a product like an automobile in years, not in days. Um, In this case, it almost felt like hours, but. And we weren't developing an entire vehicle either. It was a really a system, a component that you would put into a vehicle. But even that is it was crazy fast, and so many things came together to make it happen. We had to. You you don't just put things like that in a vehicle and not think about the safety of the customers that are going to be riding in it. So we have to engage a lot of different government uh, entities as well. So we have a lot of people that that have knowledge in in uh, safety and, and. and product regulatory and things like that 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 really were instrumental in this. I mean, they're kind of the unsung heroes, really, uh, of this whole thing. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that the other thing I love about this is, you know, what an amazing learning opportunity, right? And so, and not just thinking from a sort of teaching and learning standpoint, but I mean, I, I have no doubt that if you were to sort of pull that team after the fact that you know there was an awful lot of learning that that took place in those 12 to 14 days that, from your team right i mean you you had to think about things differently to be able to make the retrofits happen and yes your content expertise in a particular thing but when you combine those with other opportunities i guess if you will or the need and and what you had to accomplish the learning curve internally had to be pretty steep
0: oh yeah it was it was unbelievable i I likened it to riding a, a bucking bronco. <laughs> um, it, it felt like you got, got on and you had so many people that had so many ideas on how best to do things that all you really had to do was try to herd them in the right direction. But the, the, um, obviously, we'd never built a, a shield for the uh, vehicle like that before. And you know, what, what we needed to do to conceive of, of that, what kind of requirements do you have, what's the necessary steps. Um, yeah, that, that all happened in in a day or two. Uh, but once we got started, it was a, it was pretty much everybody was off and running. It was just a matter of trying to pull them back in <laughs> to, to mm-hmm. teach the rest of us what we needed to do.
1: Yeah, to, to get that done. And I think that therein lies that intriguing opportunity because I repeatedly um, tell folks in the education space, whether it's formal or informal, that the greatest learning takes place at that sort of modify stage of the design cycle. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, at PASS we talk about ourselves as being an education R&D prototyping facility. It's that R&D piece, right, that is really, really important to us. And clearly it's fully steeped, obviously, in the work that you guys are doing. But the, the connected piece there is that, you know, as we do the research to sort of solve some type of problem, whether it be a global problem or a small localized problem, we use the same process and we use it over and over again and have that expectation that there will be multiple failure points that then become an opportunity to learn more and make the product even better. And I like, and I think that, you know, as we sort of step back from that, you know, one of the key things that I hear from educators again, informal as well as formal uh, educators over and over again is how do we best help folks be prepared to when that moment comes that you just described to not panic. You know how does that how does that work? I mean, you've got folks who are obviously they're full on engineers or designers, take your pick, HVAC specialists. You know, they've they've had a had a lot of both education and life experience. But when you get into these crisis moments, it's a natural human tendency to think, "Oh my gosh, I don't know that we can do that, or how how could we do it timely enough or fast enough?" And so, how do you, from a sort of a management or an administrative sort of level? Coach the confidence necessary to get this project done.
0: Yeah, I I'm not sure how much of it is coaching and how much of it is mindset. To be honest with you, I think in a lot of cases you don't necessarily teach it, but it it comes from repetition mm-hmm. uh, and you, you you do things over and over and over again. Meaning, not in this case that you're doing you you're building this thing, but you have um, you have a, a repetition of. You have problems, you, you have those problems that come up out of nowhere, and you have to solve them in a quick way. That kind of conditions you for when something comes along quickly. Okay, let's not panic, let's set step back and think about it logically. What, what do we need to do next? And I think students can do that when they're really in their, their infancy, mm-hmm. uh, when, when they're in college, when they're in high school. You can get yourself put into those positions. There's so many opportunities uh, for, for students to do hands-on work. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there seems like there's always a finish line. And in some cases, <laughs> there's a literal finish line. Uh, if you get into some of these like uh, uh, race teams or mm-hmm. whatever it right, may be. Right. You know, I think all the way back to when my kids were in Cub Scouts, then they had Pinewood Derby. I and mean, Ultimately, you had to figure out the best way to build your vehicle. And you had a date that that race was going to take place. Good luck. Here you go, Uh and so it it puts you know it's it's a different kind of pressure, but all of it I think builds on itself to the point where you you know that you you've got the world isn't going to be very linear Mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Things are going to happen. You just you prepare for the the inevitable. Something's going to change, and you react to it in the right way. And I think you condition yourself to do that. It's not necessarily something that you can teach. Um, you can help people get through things when it seems all <laughs> the despair is what the, all you see in the eyes of the people in front of you. Um, because not everybody's going to react in a positive manner. Uh, so the only thing you can do from a management perspective is, is to help get everybody on board with the right set of thinking, not necessarily tools of what to do.
1: Yeah. And I think that the key takeaway to what you said was that, These are folks working for a real deadline. So whether you're building the pine box, you know, car, you know, for the Derby, Mm -hmm. you are are doing a real thing. And I think that that's a really, really big piece of it. And, And I hear folks ask all the time, you know, how to better engage students in this type of learning, because it's not so much that it's high stakes, but it potentially could be high pressure again, because of these real world deadlines and working in groups and the collaborative nature and the the iterative problem solving, uh, sometimes that can feel pretty intense. But I think that the thing that makes it more tangible, and here's the piece where I I think that it works really, really well in the K-12 space, is that it's based on solving real world problems and believing that the students or the team in this case, however you want to look at it, are capable of actually getting across that finish line. That's a really different mindset back to where you started with that. So I appreciate that very much. I want to talk sure. uh, briefly uh, before we we wrap things up here in a little bit about another project that's closely related. And again, you know, this moment of COVID-19 and global pandemic, you know, a whole host of needs, as you pointed out. And so I want to talk a little bit about the work that you guys did with the Ambu bag. And so so tell us a little bit about why it was that Honda opted into working on a simple respirator project?
0: Okay. The, uh, it was actually conceived of and started, and I actually got involved once it was already pretty far along. But we had a group of associates, again, being engineers, everybody's curious mm-hmm. about the, the world <laughs> around them. And they, they knew enough to, to go to look for what are the concerns that are that exist out in society so these uh these engineers this group of engineers and they're actually most of them came from our engine or transmission group which is a weird thing uh you wouldn't think that's where you conceive of what these guys were doing but anyway (laughs) long story short uh, a group of, uh, uh, engineers that, that were across a variety of lines. There were electrical engineers, there were mechanical engineers, uh, mostly mechanical. Um, but they, they all had a little bit of a piece of this thing and they all just came together and said, what, what, where can we help? And I think one or two of the, the people's uh, spouses worked in the medical industry and they, they felt like, okay, an Ambu bag is something that we use every day. Um, whether it's in the ER or mm-hmm. whether it's in you know, normal use, just to, to give respirations to these people that are, that are lying, having trouble breathing on their own. And the problem is, is that you have, an uh, I, I'm not going to describe an ambu bag very well, but it's basically that bag with a, the face mask mm-hmm. that goes over mm-hmm. a, a patient and you help them breathe. Um, so you have to have somebody standing there actuating that ambu bag. And so their bright idea was okay, maybe we can help by reducing the number of people that need to be there standing there over that patient. And so they felt like they could conceive of an idea to actuate an ambu bag uh, by a mechanical method. So they started looking around at all of the different parts of a car that when you basically push a button somewhere, something moves. Mm-hmm. And so they took a variety of different types of. of um, auto components and made mock-ups. Um, and and that's, that's a big part of what we do in the automobile industry Anyway, is prototyping. Mm-hmm. So you make a mock-up of what you think you want it to do and what it want it to look like and see how it performs. And so they did that with several different components. Really, the, the <laughs> long and short of it is they came down to two or three different components of these auto parts that could an- actuate an ambu bag over and over and over again, and decided on one, and I can't go into what it is, there's still some patents mm-hmm, <laughs> that mm-hmm. are related to this that are pending, but they, they found the optimal uh, componentry, the optimal design to actuate an Ambu bag, uh, so that it could just sit beside the patient and run over and over and over again. Because uh, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. We went out and actually talked to, um, we have a few different um, medical uh, facilities that we have partnership with um, in our philanthropy area. And so we actually was, were able to reach out to them directly and go talk to some of the people in the uh, respiratory therapy area and get a feel for exactly what happens in the, the respiratory uh, therapy field so that we can understand the right way to design mm-hmm. this thing. And we come to find out, you know, in some cases, you need to make sure people are actually am, uh, actuating the, the Ambu bag and they can feel how much pressure is coming back mm-hmm. to their hand through this bag. It's a really interesting thing that we didn't think mm-hmm. about. And we just thought it was like, compress it, let it off, Yeah, so it, So it's not just it
1: squeeze the thing and call it good. It's more than that. It's really yeah. complex.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's way more complex than what we thought it was. And you know, there's a long and short stroke, mm-hmm. there, you know, how, how much goes in. There, there were so many things to it that that was really interesting for us to learn. And we got all the way up to the point where we were ready to test the same for FDA. And, and FDA was um, making some, uh, I guess you'd say, emergency approvals mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And we got all the way up to that point and things started leveling out on the COVID uh, and with the uh, things like that. So we decided not to step forward and actually make these things, not do the final testing for that approval because it was timely, uh, costly, mm-hmm. things sure. of that nature. And it, it, we really didn't think that the, it was needed at that time. Everything had kind of leveled out a little bit and, it was, and we were in better shape. So we didn't end up making them, but it was a great exercise mm-hmm. to go through for our associates, for myself, um, just in seeing what what it is we need to do. And that's ultimately what we ended up doing with that project was we <laughs> wrapped it up into a, I guess you would say a paper mm-hmm. <laughs> to say, here's how we would do it. If we ever have to do this again, this is what we did. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a really good uh, experience from that perspective as well.
1: And again, that you know, wicked, wicked learning curve in terms of sort of what you were able to do and to demonstrate. And I think that that's really kind of the beauty, again, of what I love about the way Companies who are actively engaged in RD as a really, really sort of meaningful component of where and how they get to what it is that they're actually then on the flip side, from a consumer standpoint, probably known for. And I think that's the, the piece that I love about it is because people don't really understand what it takes to get to that moment. There is so much that has to happen before, you know, anything in the case of a vehicle ends up, you know, at that manufacturing plant that people see on TV. And I they think they understand the car industry because of that. And the 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 active and engaging problem solving, um, on the front end is the piece that I think is far more interesting than the really cool products that come out, come out on the backside. (laughs) And I think that that's where the lessons, the best lessons learned, um, really can be, um, from that sort of teaching learning perspective. And so I want to, I want to close, this conversation, Mike, with, with asking you, so imagine that you are a, a teacher, for example, in rural Ohio, and you're contemplating the the fact that you know the coming year is going to be anything but what it used to be. And I have this in- intriguing opportunity because I have to not only rethink my own practice about how I go about crafting um, and helping young minds move down the road, but I might have an opportunity to sort of think about that end product very differently. So... So let's assume that you know, a kid who goes through my program is going to show up uh, one day actually standing across, uh, across the desk from Mike Wiseman and you know, asking you for a job. What, what, is it, what is the most important skill to you that you want to see um, somebody walking through the door? um ready to have. What what is that outcome that you need folks involved in teaching and learning to make sure that the the folks who end up at Honda show up with?
0: It, it, it may seem silly.
1: It will not, but, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but flexibility of thought. Mm. Um, I don't think somebody can be rigid in their thinking, especially if you're innovating and designing and building something new and useful. I don't think you can do exactly the same thing over and over again or look in the textbook and find out how somebody else did it and do that and really make an impact. I think flexibility of thought goes to the, somebody being able to um, think outside of the box, think in terms of, okay, what, what has been done before, but maybe not just follow what somebody did before me. How can I do this better? Mm-hmm. And is it always better to do something different? Right. So you, you have to have at least the breadth of flexibility to be able to think differently to I think make the biggest impact.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Not just for yourself, but for as we've discovered um, during all of the the stuff of COVID, for the rest of the world as well. So, Mike, I want to thank you very much for joining us today, and please share back with your uh, associates. You know our gratitude uh, to Honda R and D Americas for the work that you've done, being innovative in a time and moment of crisis, and how fast you were able to to learn the things that needed to be to to make it a make it all a better place. So we truly appreciate it, and I thank you so much. For joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.